in Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 21. And then through, we'll work it through verse number uh, 38 as well. So if we start there looking at that together, it says this in 221. It says, when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, what's interesting is, is that um, they called his name Jesus. And we're going to come back to that because that wasn't the normal thing that would happen uh, typically for them to uh, just pick a name like that. Verse number 23, uh, as, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was a just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. So we're going to stop right there and look at a couple of things. But let's first look at this definition. Faithfulness is doing the right thing consistently. And I believe that's a really good uh, description of faithfulness. Faithfulness is doing the right thing consistently. Basically, faithfulness could just be anything that you do constantly, but typically we don't attribute it to things that are wrong. You know, if someone smokes a pack a day, you don't say, wow, they're really faithful to that, you know? Uh, so typically we attribute faithfulness to things that, are, things that are good to be doing, not things that are bad to be doing. You know, he's really faithful to always blow out his budget, you know? That's nothing that we really talk about in those lights. And so when we talk about this faithfulness, things that we should be doing is doing the right thing consistently or things that we should do consistently. Now, I want to challenge you in this because, and we talk about this every year, and I tell you that I am, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but on the back of this, I put right there for 2019, some goals that you can write out or maybe start to formulate. Me and my wife were talking about this yesterday when we were going out uh, visiting uh, folks, and uh, she was asking me what are some what are some things that, that you know, I want to purpose to do in 2019? I asked her the same thing and whatever else. And so I gave you two different areas there. And I want to clarify because um, it says right there, what are some goals you'd like to pursue at home? And right here, what are some goals, uh, spiritual goals that you'd like to pursue? And I want to clarify because I think that sometimes people think that, um, that there's spiritual things and then there are like non-spiritual things to, you know. But let's say that you're determined, like, I want to take care, better care of my health. Do I think that God is... Uh, involved and would like for us to take better care of our bodies. I do believe it. So I, I believe that anything that we would do, whether it's to be a better spouse, a better parent, take better care, is all spiritual components because God's not just concerned in like, well, did they go to church this week or not? You know, I don't really care, you know, how much steak they're eating, but, you know, did, did they go to the church? You know, I believe that God's concerned about all of the things that we do. And several of you in here are good examples of a lot healthier uh, version that I could be and things like that. Uh, some of you of you exercise more, different things like that. And so I just wanted to say that that I don't believe that uh, you know if you set a goal uh, for getting in shape or whatever that that's just a worldly goal. I think that all those things go together. But I do think that we should have goals that are very spiritually motivated and goals that are just common sense and uh, taking care of our of our body motivated and things like that. So here's here's the thing, and I know Pastor said this before, but just in case you missed it in a sermon, um, this, there's a study that was taken, and it says this in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse number three. It says this, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that the, sin, the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There's a couple of things that's gonna, that will start to take place as we get closer towards the time 
of the rapture towards the time of Christ coming back for us, okay? We know this, that the Bible says that wars will increase, okay? Disasters increase, so natural and man-made devastation will increase. The next thing that will happen, the Bible says, is that the world will grow more and more wicked. The Bible says that it turns into as in the days of Noah, where there was only a couple of righteous, the, the, the righteous people came very much the minority, when you were going to the election polls in 1980, there was something very alive in America that was called the moral what? Majority. majority. So the moral majority, uh, thank you, know a little bit about politics, Donnell? Uh, so the moral majority was very alive and well in, in that decade and, and before that as well, obviously. We are going to become more and more and more of a minority. So if you stand and you say, hey, I really believe that marriage According to the Bible, therefore, that's where my stance should be between a guy and a girl. That's what I believe. You're going to become more and more of a minority. You know that's going to happen because as we get closer to the end times, that we know that wickedness will increase and righteousness will become more of a scarce commodity. Now, one of the things that will also happen is even amongst uh, good people and Christian people, the Bible says that there will be a falling away or there will be a lack of faithfulness. So as we get closer to the end times, faithfulness will not increase naturally, rather it will decrease naturally. So with that backdrop, let me tell you this. Um, three decades ago, there was a, there was a group that um, took a study of Christians, okay? So this study um, of Christians that they considered themselves to be faithfully attenders of a church. I faithfully attend a church, okay? They averaged going to church 2.5 times per week, and they said, yes, I am faithful to church. Outside of that, they said, ah, I'm really not that faithful or whatever else. But of those who called themselves faithful, they were going to church an average of 2.5 times, but per week. That's pretty impressive. Now we'll fast forward. The same study is run, but it's three decades later. It's a current study within the last uh, five or six years. The same study revealed that believers who consider themselves to be faithful attend church less than, less than, two times a month. So like 1.7 or 1.8 times in a month, they'll attend church. But personally, they still say, I am faithful to church, right? So um, I know that it's more of a, uh, maybe it sounds a harsh statement, but I think when you back up, you say, it's kind of a true statement um, that the pastor said this before, that, that never before has there been a generation uh, that feel so good about themselves while accomplishing so little. Mm. Now, ouch, that's very, very ouch. But if you take away the harshness and just say, well, let's just think if that's true. It is really true. Like we feel great about the way we're doing. Like, oh yeah, yeah, so great. And you know, like personal love and self-love and all this stuff is so high and all these other things. Uh, but, but there's not a lot of great personal character strides and things like that. And uh, employers find it hard to find good employees and stuff. Why? It's just because faithfulness is lacking just in the earth. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise because we know from the Bible that the world will become less and less and less faithful and less and less and less moral. However, once it starts to creep inside the church and inside our ranks, that's where it becomes a problem because we need to be going against the grain saying we want to be more faithful. I want to be more faithful, more faithful, okay? There was a phrase that was coined uh, by... Norma, I'm going to say it's Bob Jones Sr. Who said, who said three to thrive? Is that Lee Robertson? Thank you. All right. So Lee Robertson said this phrase right here, three to thrive. Okay. Now, this was a big phrase that was carried on in Baptist circles for like decades and stuff like this. But the point was they were really, really, really encouraging people to see the necessity of coming to church when the church doors were open. Now, when I was younger, 
pastor would say this all the time. Like, man, have your family there. If the church doors are open, have your family there. Now, you say, man, but with busyness and you don't understand and work is so busy and so busy and so busy and so busy. I, I refuse to believe that it's, it's 1990 was less busy than 2018. I just, I just don't believe it because people had kids then, people had jobs then. Like, you're going to have to tell me, like, what's really changed a whole lot. Um, like, even Walmart has convenient pickup now. Like, it seems like there's more conveniences. Um, you, don't, you, can, you can order Wendy's to your house through Grubhub. Like, you don't have to leave anymore, right? So it seems like with the pervasion of technology that we're actually uh, able to save times in some places, okay? So you might say, well, there's no way. There's no way in 2018 that you could stand up there and say, like, I really think that you should be in church three times a week. You're right, that's pretty unbelievable. Here we go, watch me, ready? I think that you should be in church three times in a week. And here's why. Because faithfulness and instilling that both into ourselves and into our family is really, really super important, okay? And so I know that if we're, um, we're a class that 75% of people are newer to our church two years uh, or newer to our church. So I realize where I'm starting at. And I try to do things like this because I don't want to take things for granted. So that's why I'm going to walk through our Baptist distinctives and, and teach some things that I think are important to know. If you're going to stay here in our church, I want you to know why we believe what we believe in. And for that to be something you say, I sign on to that as well because that's what will keep you here in a decade. But I think that also as we go forward, that there should be some growth in the fact that, hey, I, I am going to be more present in the house of God. I encourage people all the time that are SMOs. What are SMOs? Sunday morning only. I always encourage SMOs to come on and come back with us on Wednesday night because I think it's a really, really great service. There's a lot of great components for your whole family, from teen time to Awanas to the Bible study in there to the prayer time, all that stuff. So if right now you're 2018, you're an SMO, then for 2019, I want you to step up and say, okay, I will add in a midweek service, and I realize that it might uh, be an inconvenience. I realize that it might make you rush. Uh, we have teachers meeting at 6.30 before that, and there's a teacher that rushes in, and he's always had to stop and grab his food before he's, so he's always in there, uh, like with Wendy's or, or with Panda Express or with something. Uh, but he's a teacher, and he wants to be faithful, so he's going to get in there at 6.30. And we're going to do some things in 2019 to try to promote and have uh, bigger nights on Wednesday night or do, do um, neater, you know, neat things, try to be more creative. But the whole point is just to say, like, look, if you're coming Sunday morning only, we want you back because it's a great place for your family to grow. So I do believe that, even though it's 2018 and the guy who said this, uh, his heyday was 1970 and he's been dead for a lot of years. Uh, but I do believe that it's very, very important that as we go closer to the end times, that it, honestly, it's not going to work for 90 minutes a week to have your kids indoctrinated in spiritual values when they have the whole rest of the week to be other places. I also take it a step further. If you look through the Bible and Paul's writings and whatever else, God has instituted that the church is the place where we come to worship, where we come to serve, and we come to rally with our Christianity. I realized that I could jump into a bunch of groups. I really could. But the church, when you look through the Bible, and especially in Paul's writings, which is New Testament, which is where we live now, um, he was big, big, big on that the central hub of that is the church. There are things called para-church ministries. That means they're outside of church. They do not have the authority to, to baptize. They do not have the authority to give the Lord's Supper or whatever because they're not a church. So the more that you build your family, and I trust me, I know that even if you're not on board with me on this 100%, trust me, trust me, the more that you build your family around the events and the instruction of the Bible and that through the church, it's a whole lot better off for us. So if right now you're sitting 
as Sunday morning only. I applaud you because a lot of you are very, very, very faithful to that. The next step I would say to take is join us on a Wednesday night because it's really, really good. As I look around the room, there are people that now work in Wednesday night ministries are coming to Wednesday night ministries, and that's great. Um, that is my goal. That is my 100% goal for you. I'm not going to hide the ball on that because there are so many good benefits uh, towards putting your family in there. Okay, got to move on. You're right. Here we go. Let's look at four people. Here's our four people we're going to look at. Number one, Joseph. We'll look at Joseph's obedience. Joseph, of course, was um, the husband of Mary, but was not the father of Jesus. And so Joseph, obviously, was faithful in these ways. Um, number one, Joseph believed God even though he did not understand, okay? And there's an internal talking point right there that we're going to get at the next thing right there. And I want you just to, to write it down there as you think about that right there. But is there something in your life that you need to just accept in faith? Here's what Joseph had to accept in faith, okay? He's, he's espoused or he's engaged to a lady. Now, here, let me go Bible customs on you. Here's the way it happened in Jewish times. Once a Jewish guy would propose to a lady... His promissory note to her would be that he would go and he would start to make a place for them to go live. Now, these days it's great because you can just, you know, like you want to get married, great, okay, go down and you could have an apartment rented in about six minutes uh, anywhere across our city. But in those days, he would actually, he would start to go out. It was somebody to help his dad or some uncles or whatever. So they would start to build a house and he would prepare a place to bring his bride back to. That's how you know if a guy was worth his salt or not. If he can never make you a place and you hey, want to go with me, but we're going to be homeless, then you probably wouldn't marry him, right? So he would, he would give you a promise, I want, to, I want to marry you. And so they were espoused with the intent to get married, and he was working on the place that they would go and live. That's why when Jesus says in John 15, looks at his disciples and he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and where I go, I will come and receive you unto myself. When I'm done, I'll go and get you, and I'll, I'll take you home with me. The disciples understood exactly what that meant. They were Jewish. They understood the ramifications of that. And so they would go out, and he was building that. And while Joseph is doing that, working long days, working and then going and working on this house and working on this house, he finds out that his engaged to be married uh, lady is pregnant. Now, typically there's only one way that that happens. And so he has to take something in faith. And so God comes to him a dream and he believes in faith uh, that this is of, the, of, of God and that it's supernatural and not natural. Uh, Matthew one twenty tells us about that, that uh, he appears to Joseph, says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary for thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. Number two, Joseph stayed with Mary and married her after Jesus was born. Um, you don't have to write these down, but just telling the ways in which Joseph was faithful. Uh, Joseph also called him Jesus and did not give um, their firstborn a name after himself. I was going to look at this place here, but we don't have time to go there. But do you remember when um, John who is the cousin of Jesus, right? So when Elizabeth is pregnant with uh, John, uh, Zacharias is the father, and uh, Zacharias can't speak the whole pregnancy, right? So they go to him, and they, they go to the mom, and they say, okay, the baby's born, what are you going to name him? This is on the eighth day, because according to Jewish custom, they don't name him until the eighth day. And so at the circumcision ceremony, they're going to name the kid, and she goes, we're going to call his name John. And they look at her, and they're like, what are you talking about? There's no one in your family who's named John. Uh, that's because Ashkenaz Jews and, and Sepharic Jews, they have a custom that Sepharic believe that you name them after the living. Ashkenaz Jews believe that you name them after the dead, some dead descendant or whatever. So they say, well, nobody in your family is named John. There's no way that you can name him John. So they go over to Zacharias and they ask him, well, what are you going to call him? And he writes out his name is John. And that's when he can speak again. And so it's, it was weird for John and for Jesus to be named these names because nobody was, those are not Jewish names. Nobody was named that. They're not Hebrew names, sorry. And so 
uh, Joseph names him Jesus uh, because it was what God wanted him to. Let's look at this next year. What's, who's Mary? Uh, Mary's faithfulness here. Here's some ways in which Mary uh, was faithful. Number one, obviously, Mary did not understand why God uh, would use her, how would it all happen, but she accepted and rejoiced. Uh, in this, of course, Mary had faith to wait on God to do his perfect work. And then when Jesus was 40 days old, Mary came to the temple to make an offering, um, which is what we picked up and saw in verse number 21. So I want you to think about this, and you can write it out there, because maybe you have something good, and you can, you can write that down. I see some people writing it down there. Is there something in your life that you just need to accept in faith? Because it's probably that God will show it to you later on, or it will work out later on. But right now the timing or the spot that you're in, maybe it's a frustration or something that you're having a hard time accepting, but you tried to, you're just going to have to accept it. There's nothing you can do about it because you're, you're in this spot. And if that's for you, then these people are for us. That's why they're written for our admonition. The Bible says that we should look at Joseph and Mary and say, well, there's things that they didn't understand. However, they were just willing to accept it. And if you need to just accept something in your life, then work that out between you and God. Because if you don't, it's going to just become a sticking point for you. You won't be able to move on from that if you can't accept uh, something that has happened. C, Simeon's faithfulness. Simeon's faithfulness. Um, if you know who Simeon is a less known character in the birth of Jesus Christ, um, but he is not a spiritual leader. He was just a faithful man of God who worked and helped in the temple. And uh, he was looking for the Messiah to come in verse number 25. And then when he sees uh, the Messiah, verse number 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And verse number 29 says, look, I can die now because I've seen the salvation um, of Israel, which you've prepared. And verse number 32 says this, I like this. It says, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So even Simeon knew right from the beginning that Jesus was going to uh, not be accepted with the Jews, but would be accepted gladly with the Gentiles, uh, which is a great prophecy there. And the last person we're going to look at also working in the temple is a name, uh, a lady by the name of Anna. My parents named my sister this because of Anna's part in the Bible story. Verse number 36 through 38. She's a very, very amazing lady. It says here there was there was uh, one named Anna. She was a prophetess, a prophetess the, do- the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was a great age and had lived with a husband seven years. From her virginity, and she was a widow of fourscore and four years. So she was around 100 years old, and she had been without a husband now um, for um, quick math on fourscore, and so 84 years. And she departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So the faithfulness of Anna. So let's bring this down here in the next last 10 minutes. What are some practical ways? And I will get some talking point here for you guys. What are some practical ways that we can show faithfulness in our own lives? And I've got um, four to give you, which are very simplistic. But let's first talk about this if anyone can jump in here. Why is it important for us to be faithful to God, not only for us, but of course the heightened responsibility of doing that for our kids as well. I know there's a couple obvious ones, but you guys are parents and so you understand um, some of this or a lot of this. Why is it important for us to be uh, faithful for them? (coughs) Yes, sir. Tithing. 
it was really hard for me when I was a young teenager because, you know, you have your friends buying, you know, nice shoes, clothes, but, you know, honoring God in the first fruits always, and then passing it on to my kids, just, you know, to make be blessed and try to be a help to others, you know, the Lord will always look out for you. Right. I think from personal experience, it's a lot easier to be faithful in something when you've already developed a habit from your parents who have mm-hmm. also already been faithful in that your whole life. It's almost like just a good nature instead of a struggle. Yeah, Jama? And for me, it's uh, important to show my kids that God is real. Um, a lot of times, our generation things are, as soon as the people are, get attached to things that are tangible. And there's sometimes where, you know, uh, when you serve God, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's intangible. It's, you got to be faithful. So for me, it's showing my kids that God is real. That I do believe in a higher power. Um, and I do lean on that higher power to get us through. Amen. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Good things? Yes? um, Personally, I'd like to think that being faithful is showing my kids that uh, even when we are having our times in the valley and we're having difficulties or painful things happen in our lives, that God's always there regardless of the circumstances that we're in. And having that comfort knowing that God is always there and always loves you regardless of the faith of the kids, knowing that even when mom and dad are gone, all your siblings are gone, but somebody's always going to be with you. Anybody else? That's good. Okay. Um, I think that, based on what a couple of people said there, how many of you... um, Maybe you got saved, you got right with God later in life. How many of you are wishing that some spiritual habits that you now had that were very hard to come by, that you had maybe just been practicing those all the way through up, right? Sometimes when you're ingrained in things, um, it's just, it's harder. It's harder to develop new habits. Um, it's harder to uh, push those things when you're in a rhythm. And um, But I, I applaud how far, as I look around the room, how far some people have come. And you are seeing God, as Jama said, become real in your life. And you're, you're taking actual steps of faith. Um, here's, here's the honest truth. We live in a generation where people go to church eh, like once a month or if they feel good, whatever, whatever. And then they just post a ton on social media about how spiritual they are. Or like a verse or like them reading their Bible or whatever. Or like this caption, whatever, right? Um, and just... I think it should be obvious even to marginal people, just the shallowness of that really. Um, but it's, but it just, it makes us feel really, really, really good about ourselves that we can have a front of faithfulness or a front of spirituality without really having anything genuine. Now that's great for social media. Everyone can think that you're this great person or whatever, but your kids never will because then, you know, they see what happens after the picture, you know, and the, you know, then you close up the Bible and actually read it. You just need a really good picture, you know, or whatever. I know that's probably younger than you guys, uh, people that do that. Um, but just having a genuine parent in the home that actually does some real practical things really stands out um, to a child. Here we go. So let's look at these, and we won't spend a lot of time here because I, I think that they are givens, but they're good reminders, right? God requires us to be faithful. The Bible says um, in 2 Timothy is it 4 4? Moreover, is required in stewards 4 2. Moreover, is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 
And um, we are a steward, of course, of time and money and everything God's given us. And so it's required of us uh, that, we be, that we be found um, faithful in all things. Um, and then if you look at um, the next one right here, we must be faithful to church. We must be faithful to church. Now, look, I wanted to take some time and I knew... Uh, I've known for over a month now that I wanted to, in this series, I wanted to help to push more people coming to more services more often from our class. I believe it's a need that we have because it's just an area in which we grow. When you get saved, the first thing that we're supposed to do as an act of following of obedience is follow the Lord in baptism. It has nothing to do with your salvation. If you were to get saved on Tuesday with the intent of getting baptized on Sunday, you died in a car wreck on Thursday, you're going to heaven just as sure as anyone who's been saved for 80 years because salvation is when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior between you and God. Baptism is our first step of obedience and now it's outward picture saying, I want to follow Christ, okay? And I'm committed to this. So there's many steps of obedience along the way. Reading our Bible would be one, right? Praying would be one. Um, getting in and, and tithing, trusting God with our money and our finances, all of those are steps of obedience. Of those steps of obedience, becoming more and more faithful to the house of God is an important thing. For some people, um, I was, there was someone that mentioned in the comment the other day that, uh, that they had never really gone out to hang out with people uh, without drinking before. It was the first time that they had done something. They went and hung out with Christians. They did. So what are they doing? They're forming new and, and good habits as they're walking and they're becoming more obedient to God. I believe along the way and search the scriptures that it, one of those things is that we become more and more faithful to the house of God. Now, does the Bible Institute that we set up that our church services should be this time on Sunday or this time on, and then we also have a midweek service and all those things? No. However, there's some good practical principles that I believe are important for us to do. Now, if you have six nights at home with your family, Monday through Saturday, okay, you might have to talk about it and say, okay, if I want to make Wednesday night happen, here's what we need to do. Maybe it requires us to shift around some things. But if it's important, and I believe that it is, and I want to convince you it's important over the next month, um, I believe that it's something worth pursuing. Here we go. Faithful to read our Bibles and pray. Faithful to read our Bibles and pray. And obviously that's a, that's a, a, a strong daily habit. And then lastly, these are in no particular order, but just as you come and as you grow, these should be on your radar Last right there is faithful to witness for Jesus. You know, it's interesting, two times now, and we look at the Christmas story, I've never noticed it till this year, because you think you can preach something, you know, every Christmas for, you know, every straight years, and there's nothing else to learn there. But this year I noticed, uh, and because of the film, really, and because of this year, with Anna we learned today, and then with the shepherds, that there's two things that they both did. So Anna sees Jesus born, right? And he comes into the temple or whatever. And she, number one, she rejoices. She recognizes, man, that this baby is God. She rejoices. That's great. So she glorifies God. That's what the shepherds did. The shepherds see the angels. Number, they glorify God. Then the second thing that they both did was they started to tell everybody that they possibly could that, hey, there's a baby born that is meant for the salvation of Israel and the world. They started to proclaim that. That's really interesting. So in our lives, that's what we should do is we should, number one, recognize the power, the glory, and the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. He's our savior, right? He's our leader and everything. And then secondly, if it's such an awesome power and we, we, we are into it, we believe it so much, then we should start to tell other people about that. So the shepherds did it and we did it. And I believe that's our part. 
uh, not only at Christmas, but all the time, that we should, number one, recognize the glory of God in our own lives and our families, and number two, tell other people about it. Um, and it's a really good thing, obviously, for us to be spreading. If you want to take some time this week, and I would encourage you to, uh, think, start to think. Maybe next week we could share some of these if you're okay with that or whatever else. But start to think about what are some things that I want to put into play um, in 2019. Uh, and if you're like, oh, I'm not a New Year's person, then okay, start these on January 3rd. I don't really care. Uh, but that way you don't feel like you're you know, part of the system or whatever. Uh, but what are some things that you would like to aim for in 2019? Maybe some of the things that we talked about today are on the list for you as well. All right, thank you very much. You are dismissed. Make sure to meet Jonathan over here. We're glad that he's with us today.